Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Good morning. Today's scripture is Matthew 16, 13 through 17. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So in today's culture and climate and and everything we've been through, everything we are going towards, what we often hear is that people reach a point in which they are looking for why am I here, or their peace that they can find, or the purpose that they have in this world. And so we're going to be journeying with Cleopas and his friend toward Emmaus. And so let's go ahead and start finding our peace and purpose in Emmaus. We'll start the story in Luke chapter 24. It says, now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, which means warm spring, it means hot spring, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Good Friday, Monday, Thursday. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have taken place in these days? So Jesus asked them, what things? And they replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's now the third day since these things took place. And it's kind of fun being in on the secret. There's this technique in writing, technique in movie making, it is called dramatic irony. And dramatic irony is when the audience knows something that the character doesn't. So, for example, Romeo and Juliet, I'm going to ruin the ending for it, but it's like 500 years old, so it's your fault if you haven't read it by now. Um, Romeo and Juliet, when Romeo is thought to be dead, we know that Romeo is not actually dead, so it's even more heartbreaking when Juliet takes her own life afterward, on a more humorous side of things. Toy Story, right? We all know Buzz Lightyear is not, is just a toy, but Buzz Lightyear doesn't know that. And when Cleopas and his friend say to Jesus, I mean, it's been three days. Like, it's been too long. 
we know, we've already gone back. If we would just tell Cleopas, you know, Cleopas, all you got to do is read earlier in chapter 24. The women go to the tomb. There's men in dazzling clothes who are telling them, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? He's not here. He's risen. We know the story. We're led into it. But Cleopas doesn't have a Bible when he's walking down to Emmaus. Clopas doesn't know the whole story. He is still living in Good Friday in this uncertainty. Three days for him is not a victory cry. Three days for him is a time of it's getting too late. I'm, this, it's been too long. So we have this dramatic irony, but what Luke does in this story, it's very interesting to enter into the mindset of Cleopas as we journey toward Emmaus, knowing the full story. But in this story, there are more questions asked than statements given. There is more uncertainty than certainty. And what Luke is doing with dramatic irony is bringing us into a story that we think we know, but asking us to really examine, do we really know who Jesus is? Do we really understand all the things that we say we know when we come to church on Sunday or we say when we profess Christianity, when we sing the Apostles' Creed? Do we really know who Jesus is? And Cleopas gives us a glimpse into uh, what people were saying about Jesus at the time. In verse 19, Jesus asked what things, and Cleopas describes Jesus of Nazareth as a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And in the text that LaCristia read, the disciples answered Jesus, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah. Still there's Jeremiah or one of the prophets when Jesus asked them, what are people saying about me? Who do people think that I am? And the general answer is a prophet. And, and prophets in this time in the Bible are not fortune tellers. As you know, if you read Harry Potter and you've got prophecy, those are things to come. But prophets in the Bible are people who tell God's truth for the current situation. They speak God's truth into the world. And generally, the prophets in the Bible are kind of correcting. There's usually something going wrong, but there, as they speak God's truth into something going wrong, there's always something greater to come. So Elijah, Jeremiah, John the Baptist are all considered prophets. Elijah is um, in the time of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel when they are bringing uh, the idols of Baal into the temple and worshiping false gods. And so Elijah declares a drought upon Israel because of Ahab's actions. But there's this story with the widow of Zarephath where Elijah basically proclaims that for all those in need, there will be enough flour and water through the drought for those who are faithful, um, that God will continue to provide. Even John the Baptist comes and, and uh, hammers the religious elite for using religion as something to hold people down. But he proclaims hope that there is one who's coming after me that I'm not even worthy to tie the, the strings of his sandals. That there's always, so a prophet is basically, in a lack of a better way of saying it, a prophet is a bolt of adrenaline. And love them or hate them, love their message or hate their message, they are a bolt of adrenaline that gives people purpose for a little while. And their purpose is either to attack the prophet or to follow the prophet. But what we see throughout the course of Scripture is that with this bolt of adrenaline that goes, you know, we'll have Jeremiah who proclaims the return of the Israelites from the exile and only to have the Israelites fall back into their own patterns. There's always one bolt of adrenaline followed by another bolt of adrenaline followed by another bolt of adrenaline. And the question is, is when does it get to be too much? When we are often looking for our own peace and purpose in our life, we tend to follow bolts of adrenaline. Um, it, it could be the job that you've always wanted, and then you get the job and you do it for a little while, and all of a sudden that bolt of adrenaline is gone. Or maybe it's the diploma that you're chasing, and you think, if I only get this diploma, that is my purpose in life, is to get this diploma. And, and then you get the diploma, well, what's next? Um, it, it could be um, the, uh, it could be even, and this is going to sound weird, but... Um, 
your family, right? Parenting is a purpose. And all of these things are great things, right? Parenting is a purpose. But there comes a time where, and you never stop being a parent, but there comes a time when that kid doesn't need you as much anymore. And how many people have we seen who have struggled with that transition of finding purpose? I'll give you a great example. 2021 playoff run of the Dallas Cowboys. Right? I don't care. I, there are several people. In it. So 12-5 and five season, finished first in the NFC East, as though that was something hard last season. Um, they make it to the playoffs. And if you talk to Cowboys fans now, whether it's on sports radio or in this congregation, every single one of them will tell you, yeah, we didn't really have a lot of hope. Like, we knew it was kind of going to happen. I have a lot longer memory than some of you. And you listen to sports radio, like, recordings from back then, and everybody thought, it is our year. We are too talented. We are too loaded. The 49ers are a beatable team. We can totally do this. And you can talk to, and I know people in our congregation who showed up that Sunday with their cowboy gear on because they were ready to go. And everybody got all hyped up that we were finally getting to the promised land. We were finally going to win the Super Bowl until this happened. Right? This was, like, there was this palpable excitement within Dallas-Fort Worth that we were finally, like, everybody's purpose. I will argue that the 2021 playoff game, before the playoff game, I will argue that in 2021, that that playoff game was the height of religious fervor in Dallas-Fort Worth for the year of 2021. And I'm serious about that. The amount of passion that went into that game, the amount of expectation, the amount of hope, the promise and purpose. There, there were people who rallied up their belief that if I sit on the left side of the couch and I eat seven wings before the game and seven wings after the game and I have two nachos during the first time out and I make sure to not talk to my children for the first quarter of the game but only during the second quarter of the game, if I do my part and fulfill my purpose, the Cowboys will win this game. There was a height of religious fervor and expectation and hope in a time where, where there wasn't a lot of hope. But people didn't seek it in church. People sought it in the Cowboys. And then this happened. Now, I love football. I watch football as much as I possibly can. I would love to play again. It was a great time in my life. I have never got to that point. Like, Lindsay has never had to console me on, my, on her shoulder for, for, a, for a game that, that, that the Cowboys lost. And on one level, if that's you, I'm only being partially judgmental right now. Because I get it. Because I've been in other situations where you've placed all of your hope and all of your expectation in this bolt of adrenaline, this, this very temporary purpose that seems exciting, and you grab onto it, and, and it brings you a lot of peace to be a part of something like that, to believe that if you wear your Ezekiel Elliott jersey in exactly the right space, you influence the course of the game. I know how it feels to be that ingrained in something and that excited about something only for it to end. And you can see why Cleopas is asking more questions and statements in this time. Because he had jumped in with this prophet, Jesus. This prophet who was challenging those people who were oppressing people. This prophet who was healing people in the streets and teaching this new ethic of love. This radical space of grace that was being created in Jerusalem and in Galilee. You could see where he was so excited riding this bolt of adrenaline and then all of a sudden it's gone. Or so he thinks. Because when the adrenaline stops, when you get the diploma, when you get the job, when you lose the job, when the kid goes to college, when you grow older and you can't do all the things that you used to do, right, there's only so many times we can go from purpose to purpose to purpose until it just runs out. 
But Jesus is doing something to disciples in Matthew chapter 16. He's using a bit of dramatic irony himself. Jesus is really good at hyperbole and, and all these kind of things. And so Jesus uses dramatic irony in which um, he, he asked them, who do you say that the Son of Man is, is actually what he said. Who are people saying that the Son of Man is? And the Son of Man is a very debated phrase within Scripture. In Aramaic, it can mean human being, it can mean I, it can mean me. But there's good evidence because it also means Son of Man. And there's good evidence that Jesus is using this to refer to, chapter, uh, to a uh, reference in Daniel of this uh, great moment in which God basically just takes over everything. Uh, and, and comes into the earth and sends God's messenger into earth. It says, as I watched in the night visions, I saw one like a human being, or a lot of translations say one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient One and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away, and his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. And why I think Jesus, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man over 80 times in the Gospels. And why I think that Jesus is referring um, to this passage in Daniel when he's doing that is earlier in Luke he says, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. He basically quotes Daniel in referencing that he is this character, this Messiah, this Son of Man who is coming. And when we read what the description of who Jesus is in Daniel, who, what he's fulfilling in Daniel is the Son of Man character. It's not talking about just a bolt of adrenaline of a prophet coming to save the day for a little bit, only to kind of have to search for the next purpose later on down the line when things are wrong again. The kingdom Jesus is talking about is one that never ends. His kingship is one that never ends. The principles that he teaches are eternal principles. Everything about what Jesus is, is the long, patient game of love and mercy, justice, creating this world that God desires. It's not just, well, you know what, let me insert Jesus here when I want to. And Luke uses this dramatic irony of what we think we know about Jesus to then parlay, because Luke, Luke and Acts came as a package deal. So Luke wrote Acts. So you go from Luke to Acts and you see people who get it. They get that they're not just following Jesus for a temporary win. Jesus isn't their ticket to a better job. Jesus isn't their ticket to a, a better city. Jesus isn't their ticket to just a better temporary life. Jesus is a ticket to a grand, universal, eternal scheme of paradise. And what they do is they buy in so much that they're willing to like sell their house and give the money to the disciples so that other people can thrive. They're willing to leave their job as a tent maker and go all around the Mediterranean to start churches and teach people about the good news of Jesus Christ, that the purpose and peace that Jesus Christ brings is not some temporary shot of adrenaline. It is our mission for all time, because there will never be a time in our lives when we are not called to love our neighbor as ourselves. There will never not be a time when we don't have to comfort somebody. There will never not be a time when we are called into a community to uh, bring peace to each other or to, to provide for each other. Right? The things that Jesus is espousing as a kingdom are borderless, are timeless. There is no person that's not included. There is no time that's not included. There is no end date. There are no tears at the end of Jesus' kingdom. There is no losing at the end of Jesus' kingdom. In fact, if there are still tears, we haven't made it to the end yet. Because with Jesus, the worst word is never the last word. And we see in the Acts of the Apostles, we see in the story of the early church, people who get it. They're not okay just kind of knowing the secret. They're not okay just kind of saying, well, we know the story and we kind of, we love watching the story. There are people who want to be in the story. 
They're people who know who Jesus is and allow who Jesus is to transform who they are. They see the long game. They see the expanding arc. They see that what matters at the end ought to matter now. That Jesus is not some temporary shot of adrenaline for when we need Jesus. Jesus is not some temporary shot of adrenaline that kind of fits in a neat box. Jesus is the definition of our purpose and peace. And when we find something that lasts, when we find something that never goes away, that tends to bring us a greater sense of purpose. And when we have a purpose, we tend to find peace about who we are and why we exist and what our role here is in this life. So what Luke does, very creatively with this walk to Emmaus story and Cleopas and going toward the warm spring that is going to bring life, is he forces us to ask a lot of questions along the way. And the primary one for today is, we know the story. We know the greatness of the story. Are we comfortable watching it happen? Or does it inspire us to get involved and live it out? Let me pray. Gracious God, your story tells us exactly who you are. You are the almighty God, creator of all things, inspirer of life, and you sent Jesus, your presence incarnate in the world. Jesus is the, your son and our Messiah, the Savior. And God, I pray that that matters. I pray that our eyes would be opened and our ears would hear, our hearts would be opened to read through the words that he said, the life that he lived, the power of resurrection over death, and it would alter our state of reality. It would alter how we uh, see the world and, and the miraculous nature of your eternal glory that we wouldn't be so afraid of losing in the moment. In fact, we might be willing to give in the moment so that others might consider us a friend, as you have called us friends. And ultimately, God, through everything that we are transformed to do, everything we are inspired to do, we pray that our loved ones, our friends, our neighbors, and our enemies might see through us a conduit into your presence, your purpose, and your peace, so that we might be whole again. And in your son's name we pray. Amen. I want to invite the kids. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.